It is week two of the 2023 college football season. This is the We Hate Your Team podcast, a proud member of the VSN Collegiate Network. I'm Kelly Ford, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Zach King. Kinger, week two's here. How are we doing this week? Doing great, man. What a treat week one was. Chaos all over the place, some great football. I can't tell you how good it felt just to post up on a couch for 12 to 14 hours and do nothing but watch college football. It's been too long, and we're moving right into this week two slate. I'm very, very excited about what we got on board tonight. Uh, Some great matchups across the board. I can't wait to dive into it with you guys. Zach, it was an awesome week one. I feel like it was so torn. Almost, you know, it felt like half the games went almost exactly as we expected, and we got exactly what we thought we were going to get out of these teams. And then basically the other half, it was like a total 180 of what we were expecting here. I mean, so many big upsets. And again, the rankings don't mean a ton this early in the year, but with the power ratings that we're able to look into, and you can make these, you know, projections on what's a team going to be, half the games feel like surprised me. I mean, it was it was incredible. What was the most surprising one for you from week one? I mean, if, if we're going to go most surprising, it's probably Texas Tech blowing that 17-0 lead on the road at Wyoming, ended in the chaos. You talk about it's always difficult to play on the road there, highest elevation college football stadium in the country. But that was a game that we thought that Texas Tech, a team that has a lot of hype heading into this year, a team that a lot of people thought was going to make some noise there in the Big 12 and to lose outright on the road with Oregon lingering this weekend. You don't know if they got caught looking ahead, but I would say that's probably number number one for me duke beating clemson very close second both those games high on my list king we didn't even talk about oklahoma just beating the brakes off of arkansas state again you expected them to win i said certainly did not expect them to win by that margin and to look that impressive in it and then also colorado you know beating tcu on the road after all the hype all the buildup. my numbers didn't see it coming vegas didn't see it coming not only did they keep it close they got the outright win king college football's back it feels so good this is why we love the sport there are so many games that we don't see coming and i'm sure there are going to be more here in week two and king we have a special guest with us tonight we have ed Egros, he is the co-host of the BetQL Daily Show, 9 to noon Eastern, Monday to Friday on the BetQL app. He is also the Valley Sport West sports analytics guy. He's a Pepperdine adjunct professor. He is all over the place. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And Kelly, it's it's fun that we finally get to talk face-to-face, so to speak, or screen-to-screen, uh, given all the interactions we've had uh, on Twitter over the years. And to actually have these conversations, uh, it's just a blast. Absolutely. No, Ed. And you can tell, too. Like, our listeners, I hear you hear your voice, and you're like, yep. This guy does radio. This guy talks for a living. He just has that voice, King. It just sounds so clean. It sounds so good. Ed, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do on a day-to-day basis. What's your role in the college football space? How did you get going in this space? Just the floor is yours. Sure. So in terms of my professional career, I was a local sports reporter for a dozen years, bouncing around from place to place. And pretty much everywhere I went, for the most part, college football uh, had a place of significance. And so I began my career in El Paso, and I got to go to the Sun Bowl a couple of times, and that was magical. I I would call that one of the more underrated college football venues in the country. Even when UTEP isn't good and they can't fill the seats, things like that, the stadium is still carved within the side of a mountain. And just the views and seeing Mexico, you know, over the, uh, I guess it's the south end zone. 
it's it's magical. It's an absolutely magical place. And even though the Sun Bowl may not have sort of the cachet that some of the other New Year's Day bowl games might have, it's still a special place. And teams really took it seriously when they went out there because they knew about the history of the Sun Bowl. And so to be a part of that was really special. Uh, then I was out in Kentucky for a couple of years and uh, covered a little bit more college basketball out there, especially in, you know, like the OVC range and things like that. But then I got to go to Alabama. I was a sports reporter for three years out in Huntsville, Alabama, and I got to cover cover Bama and Auburn. My first year there was Cam Newton's season when everything went nuts. Second year was the Alabama-LSU rematch, and that was amazing. Third year was Alabama-Notre Dame, and then after that, I'm like, you know what? I don't know how this could get topped. So it was time to move on, look at other opportunities. And then uh, Dallas came calling. I am an SMU alumnus. And so I had a lot of connections to Dallas, wanted to get back there and was able to to become a sports reporter out there at the Fox affiliate. And on the one hand, I was super happy about it. A great opportunity for me to, I guess, quote unquote, into a top five market and all that good stuff. Uh, But on the other hand, I was one year removed from the kick six. And I thought, maybe I left one year too early. I don't know. That would have been fun. But, you know, sometimes your career, you don't get to to catch everything or see everything you want to. And you miss things. And so uh, that was that. But I got to cover uh, some SMU football. That was fantastic. Uh, Dabbled in a little TCU and things like that. And then whenever uh, some of the other Big 12 games would pop up around the area, I would make sure to cover those. Certainly some Big 12 championship games. Oklahoma in particular stood out when they had Baker Mayfield. That was fantastic. And so college football has always had a really important place for me professionally. And then personally, I grew up in Baton Rouge around a ton of LSU fans. And somehow I had the gall to say, you know what? I'm not going to go to LSU. I'm going to go to SMU because academically it's better for me, et cetera, et cetera. Oh boy, the the reverb I got, the backlash I got was unbelievable. And it's something that we still talk about whenever I go back home uh, and meet the family for holidays and things like that. So college football has always been really important to me. And then as a data scientist, as I was incorporating analytical tools into my work as a reporter and researcher, things like that, college football also had an important place. I was able to uh, give a talk at Harvard, uh, some work that I did, as well as my uh, colleague Charles South did when uh, we were both at SMU. Uh, We put together a little college football algorithm and uh, figured out how to predict bowl games uh, using advanced modeling techniques. And we were able to give a talk out at Harvard, and that was fantastic. And so no matter what I have done in my life, personal, professional, whatever it is, college football has always had an important part to me. Even as I focus on other sports, I always try and make sure that some part of Saturday is carved in for college football. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. And I mean, that was, that was honestly the question that I was going to go back to is, is, you know, you have the opportunity and speaking of which the opportunity that you had a cover football in Texas, basketball in Kentucky, and then football in Alabama, you really can't get a whole lot better than that when it comes to how those sports are magnified in those, their own respective States. But talking about Texas, Alabama, same thing. You ever get an opportunity to cover high school football down there? Oh yes. Oh yes. Did it many times. And it was so funny because In terms of like whenever I would go on Twitter and report things about, say, college football versus high school football in Texas, you know, not that I tried to look at impressions and interactions too much, but the high school stuff in Texas 
always seem to get a lot more attraction and or a lot more traction rather in large part because the demographic uh, cares a lot more about social media. And so you have that element. But also, too, there are small towns in Texas where your high school football game on a Friday night, that's what you live for, that your entire life revolves around just a handful of Fridays per year. We talk about some of the smaller towns in, in college football where that's certainly the case, and we can rattle off many of them. But in Texas, with fewer games, you talk about everything just shutting down except the football stadium and everybody paying close attention to it. Those were some really special times. And whenever I think back upon my professional life in Dallas, high school football definitely is up there as far as things I miss. I still keep up with it a little bit, I guess, more for sentimental value than anything else. Uh, you know, love being in L.A., don't get me wrong. But uh, when I want to feel a little nostalgic, I definitely go back to like my high school uh, Twitter follows and things like that and just check in on them and see how they're doing. That is awesome, Ed. And yeah, I, King said it. You, you, the places you've been, the things you've covered. Yeah, I get it. Oh man, it will stay one more year. Get the kick six. Like you, one, you couldn't have known that, and two, it was time. You'd seen so many highs for both those programs there in Alabama. I'm th sitting here as someone who was born and raised in Indianapolis, went to undergrad at Purdue, so still in the state of Indiana. Did grad school at Ohio University, so still in the Midwest. I have, I have a great love and passion for college football, but I don't have the appreciation of what it means in those other parts of the country. Like I, I know it's different. I know it, it just means more in the sec. We laugh about that, but I think it does. It means more in the South. And you talk about high school football. Like, you know, I watch Friday night lights and you see these other documentaries about these great high school football teams in Texas growing up in Indiana. You don't football is important, but it's a basketball state for the, for the most part. And you've been to Kentucky basketball. Like it, where you've been, Ed, is just incredible. It's so cool. I'm very jealous of you. Uh, now being in L.A., like, oh, my gosh, you're all over the place. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Ed, tell us a little bit more about that. That's your history. That's your background. That's your past. And you touched on this. But tell us a little bit more about what's the BetQL Daily Show. So you said you, you have that analytics background. You're a data scientist. What? How do you marry the analytical approach uh, to college football with your profession here with, with as a co-host of the BetQL show on, on BetQL Daily? It, it is a challenge and something that I think is ongoing. And it's you know always an evolving process where I, I can recall uh, you know listening to uh, the football analytics show uh, or not, not that one's a good one, but also the athletic football show. I think I transposed words there, forgive me. Uh, <laughs> but the athletic football show, uh, I listen to them on, on a regular basis, a great pod. And one of the things that uh, the co-host Nate Tice brought up is this idea of when it comes to play action passing, the rushing game doesn't matter very much in terms of your overall efficiency, in terms of passing the ball out of play action. And it's one of those deals where you have analytical research, right, that the quality of your rushing attack does not matter when it comes to play action passing. Yet at the same time, they also mention this idea of, okay, this is true, but your looks also have to be the same. When you have something pre-snap, you need to at least have an attempt to fool the defense to where if you have this formation and this look, that it has to look like it could be a run or a pass. Ultimately, how the offensive line blocks, that's what is the biggest tell. But until that happens you still need to be able to fool the defense. And there was just something about that moment where I'm like, you know what, that's that's it. 
that's what I'm trying to do. Someone else is doing it as well, but that's what I'm trying to do, where on the one hand, there's analytical stuff out there that can help us understand football that much better, but you also have to know the game at the same time. Watch it to an extent. Be able to look at key ideas and concepts and figure out what the heck is going on. And sometimes you're looking at key matchups and things like that. When I was at the NFL last season, I learned a ton about defensive coverages and how to identify certain ones and, you know, what goes into, say, you know, the models for determining that this is a cover three versus a two man or whatever it is. And what then that does is it helps us understand game theory that much better. So the first half, you're running a ton of zone. It's not working. Then you switch up after halftime to something else and then it does work. And so to marry this idea of game theory and analytics and just knowing the sport of football, those are all of the ideas that I hope to bring in whatever I'm working, in whatever work I'm doing, especially when it comes to BetQL Daily, which is a fantastic platform where we talk about sports betting, we talk about sports in general. And what's great about having a three-hour show is we can sort of quasi go off the rails a little bit. So when we have like... You know, we'll talk about some key games this week. We can bring up the notions of, okay, well, for instance, Colorado had this matchup against TCU. This is how they, uh, you know, had an advantage here. But are they going to have these same advantages against Nebraska? Yeah, Nebraska has a worse offense, but the matchup is going to be different. So you do look at power rankings and power ratings. Those matter. But then you also have to look up the matchup as well and figure out, okay, when do I need to maintain this data-driven approach? When do I need to sort of put it to one side, keep it in mind, but then look at this key matchup that may offer a more significant advantage? Game theory, my absolute favorite course in undergrad. I was a mechanical Mm -hmm. engineering major, so this was like an econ elective, my favorite undergrad course, actually taught by the former Texas Tech punter, if you can believe that or not. When I found that, I was like, like, oh, game over. And he's a super smart dude. This is... Brian Roberson, he played like in the late 1990s, early 2000s. Anyway, punter for Texas Tech, taught game theory, loved it. But Ed, you you touched on something there that I say all the time. It is You, you cannot just view college football, and, and I have a tendency to try to do this. You cannot just view college football through the lens of predictive analytics through a predictive model. It takes all types. It takes the analytics. It takes the coaching aspect. It takes the schemes. It takes the play styles. It takes the matchups. It takes all of that. I am specializing in one area. Zach specializes in another area. That's why I'm putting us together. We're a more formidable team, but I could not agree more. People often think, oh, Kelly, all he does is look at his numbers. That's all he thinks about. That's not true. That's the starting point through which mm-hmm. I choose to view each team through that lens. But I know if you stop right there, you will fall short in your evaluation of teams and matchups and picking games every single week. So I love what you said. I absolutely agree. King, anything anything to add there? This has been phenomenal from Ed for, for background. No doubt about it. And I just echo both your sentiments. I actually saw a tweet a few weeks ago from a Packers guy that I follow, Aaron Nagler. He's, I've been following him for years. He's one of my favorite followers on Twitter. And he retweeted something from somebody saying, I'm stuck in the middle between seeing the importance of analytics and stats in football, but also just being a purist traditional of the game. And that's something that you guys view this, the game through more of the analytical side of things. I'm the opposite, right? I view it more from the schemes, the matchups in place. But as I've you know been working with Kelly and starting to meet more people in the industry like you, Ed, I really am starting to open my eyes to more that more side of that. And I'm starting to utilize some numbers in my approach to how I go about gambling. I'm never going to be smart enough to the point where I'm running models, but finding that middle and me actually starting to open my eyes to more so the analytics side of it. Well, and the beauty about it is that 
with say chat GBT and other artificial intelligence things out there, it's easier now than ever before uh, to create your own models. And I think what that can do, perhaps the positive side is just being able to open up opportunities for all of us to understand analytics a little bit better, create our own models. And then uh, you'd be surprised like scheme wise and you know coaching advantages and things like that what you can put into a model and being able to quantify those things uh, definitely can bridge that gap. No doubt, guys. Now that we know all the different ways to view college football games, college football teams, conference races, all this stuff, you guys want to talk about some actual college football here? we got a lot of good games in week two. Let's talk about some games, but Kelly, i got to ask you a question okay. real quick. When's the last time that you went out and bought yourself a brand new piece of Ohio State apparel? <laughs> Uh, last time I bought a new, so bought, meaning I spent my own money on it. Um, cause I've been gifted quite a bit. Um, I don't know exactly. It, it, honestly, dude, it might be 2014 national championship apparel. I don't, I don't really spend money on Ohio state stuff. I, I have a lot of it and I get it given to me. I mean, it's the easiest thing to give me for Christmas, birthdays, whatever, for like family members, right? It's like, oh, here's another Ohio State sweatshirt or sweatpants. Oh, great. Yeah. I mean, I'll wear it. They know I'll wear it. So wait, why are you asking though? That's like out of left field. Probably 2014. I mean, it's been almost a decade. If they win another national championship, I'll buy some more stuff. But I'm not buying it for Rose Bulls and Big Ten titles. Like that's ex that's expected at Ohio State. That's disappointing to hear, Kelly. For as hardworking as you are, you got to treat yourself every once in a while. And to now go almost nine years without getting yourself some new Ohio State gear, I'm sure all the listeners can agree out there, that's a little bit disappointing. But to transition that, it's time for you to make that purchase, Kelly. For all our listeners out there, home field, quality, vintage, college apparel. For first-time buyers, get 15% off with promo code Variety Sports. Kelly, I think you should be the first in line to use that code and get yourself some new Ohio State King, gear. that's so good. I'll be completely honest. I totally forgot about the ad read. I was like, what is he talking about? I love it, dude. I'm sorry I did not play that up perfectly. I will be better moving forward. And yes, I would be a first-time buyer of Home Field Apparel, which, by the way, is located right here in Indianapolis, which is where I'm sitting right now recording this episode. So yeah, maybe I'll just go over to the store itself in, in, in person and I don't know if you can enter a code in person, but hey, I'll figure it out. I'll talk to those folks. We'll get over to Homefield, a great supporter of the VSN uh, network and VSN Collegiate King. Thank you very much for that reminder. I'll ask you, King, when's the last time you bought some Purdue swag? Oh, last year, dude. I got bought myself the Big Ten Championship T-shirt for Purdue basketball. Unfortunately, it was short-lived the celebration, but I'm always I'm always willing to add to the to the to the wardrobe there. But I'm with you. I get gifted a lot of stuff. As that's well. fair, and that's a good, that's a good reason to buy it too. Even some Big Ten football championship merchandise. I know they didn't win, but just making the champ game a uh, big big deal for Purdue fans. I think so. Um, all right, Ed, we're gonna loop you back in here. We're gonna go to you first for this game that we have. We're picking six games this week. It's one more than we did last week, but I like this new 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 approach. Zach had an amazing idea. He's like, hey, uh, why don't we ask the fans what game they want us to pick if we're not already picking it? So I picked two games. Zach picked two games. Ed picked a game as our guest, and our guest always will. And then we put it out to a poll vote, and we let our listeners and our fans vote. Which game do you guys want to hear about? We're starting with the people's pick here. It is Notre Dame at NC State. Ed, we're going to start with you. What do you make of this game, the game that the people wanted to hear about? So... Notre Dame is in this interesting spot where Sam Hartman has really impressed me. I thought he would coming in. So maybe this is just confirmation bias more than anything else. But in terms of what he's been able to do against inferior competition, he's looked the part and he should look the part, right? You know, that offense, I think, you know, in terms of certain pro style concepts, I think it's something where 
you know, he's looking just fine. Now, he is getting sort of tougher competition coming up against NC State, but even something like in that second game where you would have expected a little bit of regression because he had that one game already across the pond, things like that, it, he's he still looked fantastic. As I look at, say, some of the uh, grades that he was able to put together, I, I look at this and say, you know what? When we consider, say, like Heisman candidates right now, I don't know if Sam Hartman's number one on my list, but he's definitely on my shorter list at this point. So this is one where, you know, looking at PFF grades, for instance, you know, and he has two games, you know, most everyone else has one. He's ninth right now. And again, strength of schedule matters a great deal here, but I'm not sure this is an NC State defense that can necessarily slow him down. I mean, we have a spread of seven and a half here. To me, that's about right. And I don't have a problem taking the Irish to cover in this one. Zach, what about you? I'm right there with Ed on this. This is actually, I mean, we'll go ahead. We might even have to do a best bet segment at this one because I got two this week and this is one of them. I'm getting all over Notre Dame here at minus seven and a half. And it's been incredibly impressive what Notre Dame has has been able to do thus far. They throttled their, both their opponents. That is going to be a tougher challenge this week with NC State. And as good as they have looked this year, looking back to last year, this is an opponent that Sam Hartman struggled to get a little bit. He struggled versus NC State last year. He threw three interceptions. Now, granted, he did throw for almost 400 yards, a couple touchdowns, but also had three sacks. He's going to be behind a little bit better offensive line this year. He's got better weapons. So I am big on Hartman to lead this Notre Dame offense to some success this week. And I'm with Ed here. This NC State defense, always solid. But they did struggle a little bit this times at times last week versus an improved UConn team. Again, UConn's improved, but they're not anywhere near the upper echelon there. And they got torched specifically in the run game on some explosive plays that had me concerned about NC State on the defensive side of the ball. Now, offensively, I was high on Brennan Armstrong. I thought he'd be able to step in, give North Carolina State another boost. But again, versus UConn last week, only 17 up for 26, 155 yards. I'm a little bit worried about NC State this year. I don't think they're going to be quite as good as they have been in years past. And the theme for for me this week, and, and I'm going to repeat it a couple times, is you can't overreact to week one or week zero and week one. But in this game, I really like the matchup for Notre Dame. It's on the road, but I'm pretty comfortable laying the points with Notre Dame here as well. So I got them big in this one. I agree, King. We're really trying to thread a needle between not overreacting, but also valuing the, the data point, or in Notre Dame's case, the data points that we have, because you only get 12 in the regular season. So trying to weight that appropriately, there's this is always the biggest disconnect week for me from week one to week two in the power ratings. It's always the most kind of jagged edge, if you will, as we introduce the in-season data before it really smooths back out. I like that you're both talking about, you know, Ed saying laying the points, King saying might be a best bet. Guys, my model right now, I have Notre Dame minus 12, which is an 80% win expectancy. Uh, Notre Dame's been impressive in the two games it has this um, that's played so far, giving up a total of six points to Navy and Tennessee State. Granted, those teams aren't juggernauts. Notre Dame has still looked good. The Irish's K Ford rating has improved by nearly four points, and they are now in the top 10 for me in the power ratings. The offense has improved from number 27 per projection up to number 11 Sam Hartman playing a big role in that as you guys both talked about and the defense is up from number 15 to number 10 I'm projecting Notre Dame to have the advantage on both sides of the ball in this one guys especially when that defense is on the field for me NC State's coming off of a 24-14 win at UConn the models classifying that as an average showing kind of almost exactly what the model was expecting there 
Um, they are de- the Wolfpack are down half a point in the ratings. Their ranking fell from 40 to 46. But again, when you're only down half a point, that's movement of teams around you that's impacting your ranking move by that much. The offense pretty much unchanged, uh, currently number 63 in the country. But the defense, King, you said this might not be the best NC State team we've said. They've seen it's the defense for me. They've fallen from a number 18 projection down to a number 27 after just one week. Uh, the difference here in this game, as I alluded to, going to be that number 63 NC State offense against the number 10 Notre Dame defense. To recap, Notre Dame minus 12 on the road. It's an 80% win expectancy for the Irish. Ed, we're going to start with you on this next game as well. It's the one that you picked. And honestly, King, I'm a little surprised you and I uh, glossed over this one. I think we knew uh, it would either be picked by Ed or the fans, but uh, it's it's a good one. And it's got a lot more intrigue this week even than it did last. I am talking about Nebraska at Colorado. Ed, this is the one you wanted, man. Talk to us about it. What do you have here? So first of all, if Colorado keeps getting these posh time slots, I know it's an early game in uh, mountain time. I get that. But if they keep getting these high-profile spots, then how are they not going to have a top 10 recruiting class next year? How is it that they're not going to just dominate the transfer portal? Other programs have done very well with the transfer portal, and we'll talk about a couple of those later, I'm sure. But how how is it that, assuming Deion Sanders stays for another year, which I assume he will, he's making a lot of money, how is Colorado not something where they're going to have – top 10 talent almost immediately. That's going to be my big thing here is, are you going to do things in terms of your play scheme, play style, beyond just the swag that you have as a program? Is this something where your play calling is going to include some risks? Are you going to take deeper shots down the field? Are you going to continue to have Travis Hunter play both sides of the ball and play you know, upwards of 150 snaps or something crazy like that? Is this something where you want to continue being in the spotlight and giving the media reasons to keep you in the spotlight? And I actually think from a play scheme perspective, that matters because it's not going to be just playing conservatively. It's going to be airing it out a little bit. And part of this, too, is Colorado was already due for some positive regression, regardless of what they were doing. You look at turnover margin last year. It was abysmal. That was going to get better. And. Overall, I look at this and say the assistant coaches Colorado brought on, they're all really good. It's not like that that this is just some flash in the pan. I mean, like you have some guys who coached at Alabama and bring in some fantastic credentials. What is it? Mike Zimmer is somewhere on campus. Like this is a really (laughs) good staff that Coach Prime has assembled. And so this is something where even though I want to pump the brakes and all of the hype on Colorado, at the same time, I look at this and go, okay, there are reasons to believe this is a well-coached program. I know they're going to win at least four games. And here is an opportunity against Nebraska where I probably should have, you know, pounced on this way sooner, knowing full well that the Buffs had some real talent here. Uh, Shadur Sanders, 14th in PFF grade. The Cornhuskers do have 15 returning starters. And with this line at Nebraska plus three, I look at this and say, okay, I know Nebraska has been abysmal in one score games and you would expect that to, you know, revert the other way. Maybe it won't, but at least with a three point margin, that would help. As far as betting on this game, I would love to see a three and a half. I'm going to wait and see if there is a hook. And if there is, I probably will pounce on Nebraska just because I think they'll keep this game close. But if I don't get one, I'm probably going to keep this as a stay away 
Uh, probably a, a slightly lower scoring game. Definitely going to be a lower scoring game because the defense for Nebraska is way better than what TCU has to offer. TCU may be an average to below average team, if we're going to be honest about it. So I look at this and say the defensive challenge will be much tougher for Colorado. The, the Travis Hunter thing, at some point that should wear down, but I don't think it'll happen in week two. It'll probably be somewhere during conference play where you go, you know, you just can't sustain it. There's a reason why we don't see that in terms of playing on both sides. So betting, I want to wait for a hook, and then I want to pounce on it. But until then, I just want to sit back and enjoy the ride. How much of the – and I got to ask. I don't disagree. I, how much – I got to ask, though. How much of the TCU could be a below-average team? How much of that's the SMU fan in you? I would be lying if I said zero. I, I know <laughs> there, there's a part of me there. And <laughs> the fact that Sonny Dykes wanted to – pause the SMU TCU rivalry the battle for the iron skillet I just go <laughs> man this guy just wants to make the program in a worse and worse place after leaving it and not only that but working on uh his TCU gig while the head coach at SMU I you know if you have nothing nice to say don't say anything at all so I'll just you know zip my lip here but I, I put it out there on a silver platter for you. I, I, I don't disagree, though, and I'm going to get into that here in a second with this game as well. Um, guys, I, the model is going to be slow to react potentially on Colorado. I'm going to talk about them in a second, but I have Nebraska minus three in this one right now, strictly by the model. Uh, that's a 58% win expectancy. Nebraska is coming off yet another one-possession loss on a walk-off field goal, gave Minnesota a 13-10 victory. Guys, at this point, it's just ridiculous how many times Nebraska is losing close games, one-possession games. Despite the loss, though, the Huskers are actually up half a point in my ratings from last week, coming in at number 50 now. The offense was worse than expected, falling from 68 to 76, but the defense was much better than I expected. Uh, they rose from number 48 all the way up to number 22. Uh, I currently have the Nebraska defense as the best unit in this game, and they are going to be tested by this Colorado office, off, offense. Excuse me. Only Oklahoma rose more in my power ratings this week than Colorado. The Buffs are up an impressive 6.3 points per game. They're now number 70. That's a 28-spot improvement from last week in the rankings. That's the largest jump that I had in the rankings from week one to week two. Colorado is clearly better than I was giving them credit for, and I'm not necessarily surprised by that. The same thing happened last year with USC and the transfers that they brought in and the roster turnover. What is a bit surprising, though, is how easy this Colorado offense uh, looked, how easy it looked for them against last year's national championship game finalist, TCU. And Ed, as you said, perhaps TCU's not quite as good as, as I and other power rating models were, were suggesting they might be. This could be that 2022 was just the one-hit wonder year for them. We don't know. It's too soon to say, but it's certainly a part of this conversation, at least for now, until we get some more data points for both Colorado and TCU. This Colorado offense jumped, like I said, from number 88 to number 47. The defense remained unchanged. They're still at number 108. So the offense was very impressive. I do have big concerns about this defense still. Perhaps the offense is just store, score enough points in every game that it covers it up. I don't know. We'll find out. This game should be strength for strength, that Colorado offense versus the Nebraska defense. It might come down to which of the other units outperforms its expectations. Uh, to recap this one, I have Nebraska minus three on the road. It's a 58% win expectancy for the Corn Huskers. Zach? Yeah, not a whole lot to add here. I mean, you look at the books last week, and Vegas got absolutely smoked. I think I saw 80% of the bets on Colorado last weekend. I anticipated that. I'm sure we're going to be in a similar situation this year. But, I mean, just looking at this and how I was evaluating Colorado, I mean, 
I was asking myself this over the last couple of days. Is, was the writing on the wall here for Colorado? And I think the answer to that question was yes, it was. Ed mentioned, you look at the coaching staff that Dion brought on, and it's Dion Sanders. This culture that he brought in, you know, it, it changed the dynamic of the Colorado program. And then the fact of the matter is, is he did bring in some studs. Travis Hunter, Dylan Edwards, Shadur. He proved he's a, he's a very capable quarterback at the Power 5 level, and this offense is one that should make some noise in the Pac-12, at least that it's trending that way. And, I mean, you look at that matchup versus the Nebraska defense, I think there is opportunity for them to have some success there. And Nebraska defense did play very well last week versus Minnesota. You look at Minnesota, a team that's very good at running the ball. They held them to just 55 yards and two yards per carry. I don't think anybody maybe saw Nebraska playing quite to that level uh, last week. So I do think that there is going to be Colorado is going to be able to move the ball. But on the other side, I do think Jeff Sims is a liability for this Nebraska offense. He does bring a dual threat. It's a different, different look than what they saw last week with TCU and Chandler Morris. But Colorado still has some defensive holes there. They got torched over f- almost 550 yards of offense last week. If Jeff Sims can take care of the football and limit his interceptions, he threw three last week. That's been a problem throughout his career at Georgia Tech. If he can take care of the football, Nebraska's going to be in this football game. If he doesn't and they struggle with turnovers, I see Colorado running away with this. This is probably a no bet for me as well, but I still do slightly lean Colorado here. But for some of these reasons that you guys mentioned, I probably will lay off of it um, because Nebraska should be able to keep this game close. Zach, we're going to come right back to you for a game that you highlighted this week. It's a rematch of a 2022 game that featured, to be quite honest, some some really disappointing teams, especially by their standards. We have Texas A&M going on the road to Miami. Kinger, what do you think about this one? Yeah, two teams that were less than impressive last year, but they were pretty impressive here in week one. Both these teams, ton of talent, and I am anticipating a better football game than we got last year, which was pretty ugly. So we'll start on a and I mean, let's just talk about that offense. Connor Wegman, old Bobby Petrino stepping in down there in a and getting some new life into this offense. I'm sure a and fans got to be thrilled with what they saw. There was a lot of uncertainty around Wegman coming into this year. He goes out week one, throws for five touchdowns, 78% completion percentage. He looked very, very sound. And we will see if he can carry that over this week. Miami defense, solid unit. Miami, Ohio, definitely not an offensive prowess, but they pretty much dominated that game from start to finish. Only allowed 215 total yards, nine first downs. They shut down a seasoned QB in Brett Gabbert. On that, on this side of the ball, two matchups I'm looking at. Miami pass rush, and then the wide receiver versus DB's battle. Miami has some proven pass rushers in Jafari Hari, Akeem Mesidor. That A&M O-line has not been thoroughly tested yet they're going to get need to give Wegman some time this week and then when Miami has the ball they're going to try and run it they got a tandem of backs that they're going to give carries to and this is definitely the strength of the offense AM last year really struggled defensively dead last in the SEC against the run they did look improved last week but I do think there is there is a significant talent gap from what they face in New Mexico and Miami this week they still got some dudes on that D line but this is going to be the challenge for them is to limit this Miami run game and Miami obviously when they can get this run game going it normally does mean good things for Tyler Van Dyke. He's talented. I think he's got some new legs in this Shannon Dawson offense. I think it's hopefully going to take help him take another to another tier this year. But I think the possession is going to be key in this one. AM's going to try and go fast. If Miami can slow them down, grind them down, I think they got a really good chance in this game. Four and a half's a lot. I tend to lead Miami at home in taking the points, but I do think AM gets the win here. I think they're a little bit more talented. I like enough. I like what I saw enough from that offense last week and the improvements in the defense where I think they're going to find a way to get it done on the road. 
at King. This is my number two game of the week this week. I'll be writing about it for the lines.com. Uh, you said you like uh, Miami to cover the four and a half. I have Texas A&M minus two in this one by my model. It's a 55% win expectancy. A&M's rating rose nearly a point this week, but their corresponding ranking fell one spot. Actually, somebody got after me a little bit on Twitter. Not really, but he was like, what do you mean? They won 52 to 10 and they went down. I said, well, no, not really. This is actually a good point and, and good distinction. So a good reminder that rating movement and ranking movement are not always the same. Fans should be more concerned with the rating movement. So it was a good performance by the model's uh, expectations for AM against New Mexico this past week, especially on offense. King, you talked about it. I have the Aggie O up to number 28 from number 49 last week. The model really liked what it saw in game one of the Bobby Petrino offensive coordinator era. The defense fell from number four, but it's still ranked number 11 nationally. That's still really, really good. Both these teams will be leaning on their defenses in this game. Miami was my number one biggest underachiever in 2022. The Hurricanes took a big step forwards and towards putting that last year behind them, though, in a 38-3 win last week against Miami of Ohio. The model viewed that as a very solid performance. The Canes are up three and a half points in the ratings, and both units improved significantly. The offense from number 55 to number 37. The defense jumped from number 28 all the way up to number 13. So this Hurricane team looked more like what my model was expecting out of the gate last year, but we might be getting it this year, just a year after we expected it. My biggest question is, will the Miami offense be able to score enough points in this one to pull out the win? The game is in Miami, so that could prove to be a big factor here. Um, time will tell. To recap this, I have AM minus two on the road, which equates to a 55% win expectancy for the Aggies. Ed, what do you think about this game? So, Kelly, you've got this uh, around two. Uh, King, what would be a sharp number for you to say, okay, this is absolutely a stay away? Uh, I can't answer that, honestly, Ed. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I, I, well, <laughs> that's, right, that's so a little bit. Right now, so you're – so you have a lean on Miami, so maybe four. Lean on Miami. Half. If it got up to if it got up to six, I'd probably hop all over Miami. Five and a half or six, a hundred percent. If it went down to two, two and a half, I'd probably go A and M. That's okay. just off the top of my head, right there. Because it, it sounds like I'm almost splitting the difference as far as a number. Uh, if, if say four and a half is fairly sharp and two is where I'd probably be like around three. Uh, you know, if I if okay. I were to put this number together in, in large part because I think the headline of a game like this is just okay. Which system makes the most sense for let's try this again? Which <laughs> system makes the most sense for the quarterback involved? Bringing in Bobby Petrino doesn't necessarily mean a net gain, right? Um, you know, it is a you know when you're talking about uh, what A and M is trying to do, it is those pro style concepts, right? That's you know that's the idea. But then you bring in Petrino to say, okay, we want to maintain these pro-style concepts, but we also want to have some spread formational ideas and ultimately make this this kind of synthesis. And while I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of the personnel had, at the same time, I go, okay, can the Jimbo Fisher-Bobby Petrino marriage work? And I don't know that. You know, there there have been other in instances in college football history where you've had two big names putting together the offense. Sometimes it doesn't work because the synthesis just isn't there. You're trying to do too many things or it gets too complicated, whatever the case may be. So I keep that in mind as far as what we can see going forward against different competition for AM. 
As far as Miami goes, I am confident that new offensive coordinator Shannon Dawson is bringing in an air raid. And, you know, it may not be a traditional air raid, but there are air raid ideas in them. I, I think that's something that will benefit Tyler Van Dyke. I think we almost forget that he had Heisman pub during his collegiate career. And so you look at someone's ceiling, it is actually fairly high. I think we just forget about him because my, because he got injured and Miami did not meet expectations, things like that. But here's someone with a lot of talent. And now he has an offensive coordinator I think he can work with fairly well. So I'm more confident in Miami putting together a system that works than AM, at least right now. Now, in terms of talent discrepancy and things like that, I still think AM wins this game, but I do think Miami can cover the four and a half. That is a fairly large number when I trust the dogs' offense just a little bit more. There might even be a little bit of money line value here. I wouldn't put too much on it, but I think a slight sprinkle, I think that's fine here. I love it. So it sounds like we're all, you know, leaning towards at that current line, Miami being able to cover it. Uh, it's good when we have consensus. Now watch that pick will not win since we've all said, said, said that, but uh, I'm excited. This, this, this game's going to be a good one. It's going to be uh, much better. I think than the 2022 version as these teams look to, to bounce back from those disappointing seasons. I'll take this next one first. It's one of the games that I picked for the week. It's my number three game of the week. Also be writing about this one for the lines.com. It is Ole Miss at Tulane, yes, Power 5 Ole Miss going on the road to group of five, potentially best group of five team in the country, coming off a New Year's Six Bowl win, Tulane. I have Ole Miss in this one, minus eight and a half. It's a 73% win expectancy. The Rebels simply demolished Mercer last week, guys. It was 73 to seven. Their K Ford rating improved nearly five points as a result. The offense improved from number 16 all the way up to number seven. It's the top seven offense right now for me. But the defense actually fell from number 31 to 36. Honestly, it had more to do with the movement of the units around them than it had to do with Ole Miss's unit. But still, they did fall in the unit rankings on the defensive side of the ball. Um, it's going to be a tricky test for the Rebels. There's no doubt about it. I just think this offense is the best unit in the game, and it should be able to put up a good number. For Tulane, they are my highest power rated group of five team at number 38. That's up from number 44 last week when Tulane took down another group of five power in South Alabama by a score of 37-17. I mean, this was this was a good performance by Tulane against a really good South Alabama program from the Sun Belt. The Green Wave offense is now inside the top 20 for me nationally, and the defense improved 10 spots. They're up to number 53 nationally. This is the only game all season, guys, in which my numbers project Tulane to be an underdog. They'll have the home crowd behind them and the confidence that they can beat anyone following last year's Cotton Bowl victory over USC. This should be a phenomenal game. Um, I've got Ole Miss minus eight and a half on the road. It's a 73% win expectancy for the Rebels, but I would not be surprised if Tulane finds a way and has that 12-0 season in their sights. A long way to go before then, of course. Ed, what do you think about Power 5 Ole Miss on the road at little old Tulane? The total in this game is 64 and a half per bet MGM. Oh. And I like the over. Oh. I think we're going to see yep. a ton of points yep. in this game. Yep. It
you know, if you say uh, Ole Miss wins this by eight and a half, I don't think that's necessarily disparaging of Tulane. I think this is just going to be a shootout to where, okay, the winner wins by seven to nine, something like that. Well, it was a really close game and, you know, one explosive play could have gone in the other direction and then that's that. Or maybe there's a turnover uh, after a pass of 20 plus air yards. So it's definitely something where, you know, context matters a great deal when you're putting together these numbers. Seven and a half seems like a lot for a spread, but for a total of 64 and a half, really it isn't. It's just, you know, one play, maybe one and a half plays, something like that as far as uh, the overall outcome. But this is going to be fun. It might be the most fun game of the weekend. One game sample size, I get it. But Ole Miss is third in net yards per play. And it felt like when I was reading a lot of scouting reports after week one that especially when it came to, like, say, SEC quarterbacks and quarterbacks who are part of playoff contending programs where they may be new-ish, that you kept reading the same line. Some inaccurate throws. Some throws got away from him, whatever the case may be. I didn't really read that when it came to Jackson Dart. Here's someone who already came in with fairly high expectations, and he's got an incredible arm, had some great big-time throws for PFF, and he's working with Lane Kiffin, which I think is a great thing, underrated quarterback whisperer, 13 yards average depth of target for Dart, especially in a game where they don't want to play around. So this is something where we're going to see a lot of deep shots from Ole Miss. And you know what? I think Tulane's going to do the exact same thing. And this is a deal where Michael Pratt does need to be 100%, but you look at his offensive grades from last year, they were really high, and now he's off to a fantastic start here. I think we forget that in this first game against South Alabama, Tulane, yeah, they were six and a half point favorite, but you saw a lot of folks take South Alabama to cover that number and maybe even win outright. What did Tulane do? They won by 20. This is a team that somehow, after winning the Cotton Bowl last year, they are still on the rise. And it makes me nervous because SMU doesn't play TCU uh, in the regular season, but they may be on a collision course uh, for the American Conference Championship. Uh, and Tulane looks really scary, so that's something that I'm being mindful of and you know paying a lot of attention to. Tulane will be without its best linebacker. Limiting explosive plays will be key. Uh, uh, Ole Miss, you know, they, they do have a couple of, uh, you know, defensive backs I feel like could get a pick or two here. Uh, but ultimately, this is going to be a higher scoring game. I think Ole Miss wins it. As far as the spread goes, I think Tulane can cover it. Low confidence for me. But if there is a play I love, it is the over 64 and a half. Really quickly, Ed, to go off that, my updated AAC conference uh, standing projections, 53% chance SMU makes the conference championship game, 51% chance Tulane makes it um, easier schedule for SMU within the conference by my numbers. Those are the top two percentages in the American Athletic Conference. So that collision course, my numbers agree, it could be coming. Kinger, what do you think about this game? I'm in agreement with, with the both of you guys right again here. And I'm with Ed. I love that over 65 in this game. My heart tells me from the start I would to lean to Lane as well to cover the seven seven and a half, but I don't think I'm gonna bet it. I mean, and, and the side of the ball here that I don't think we need to spend too much time on. You guys did a job good job covering it, is is Ole Miss is gonna score. They got Jackson Dart, they got Quinshawn Jenkins. Lane Kiffin is definitely one of the best play callers in the country. They reloaded the wide receiver talent that they lost. Tulane defensive, they lost their top five tacklers. Ed already said they're out their top linebacker. So it's going to be a challenge for them to stop Ole Miss in this game. And I mean, the other side of the ball for, for Tulane, it's going to be the same exact challenge for Ole Miss to stop Tulane. Michael 
Pratt. Talked about how efficient this guy was last year. 27 rush touch or 27 touchdowns, 10 rush touchdowns, only five interceptions. Comes out last week, 14 of 15 versus a very quality South Alabama opponent that you guys talked about. I think the one matchup I look at on this side of the ball. Tulane did lose running back Tajay Spears to the NFL. That does cause some from some demise in that offense. He looks like a guy that's going to be utilized frequently alongside Derrick Henry for the Tennessee Titans. So they are going to have a tandem in the running back room. They do bring back their entire interior offensive line, but running the ball versus Ole Miss defense, that's going to be a key part of this game to take some of that pressure off of Michael Pratt. I mean, Ole Miss defense, they started great last year, but they did really struggle the back half of the season, allowing over 35 points per game. They brought in Pete Golding from Alabama to try and sure things up. I think the talent is decent there, but a lot of it's transfer portal. We really don't know what we're going to get from this Ole Miss defense yet. I think Golding will turn it around, but I don't think they're quite at this level yet. So I do think Tulane keeps it close, but I'm with you guys. I think uh, Ole Miss is going to be too much here. That offense is going to be too much firepower, so they are going to get the win. I love it. We're all excited about the points coming in this game. It should be a good one. Uh, I'll take this next one first. Again, uh, it was a game that I put on the radar. Admittedly, guys, this game did lose some of its luster after a result this past week. We've got Oregon going on the road, or excuse me, yes, Oregon going on the road to Texas Tech. Texas Tech coming off a surprise loss to Wyoming last week in overtime in Laramie. Drops this game down in the watchability scores for me uh, a decent amount. I now have Oregon minus nine and a half. It's a 76% win expectancy. Oregon's up nearly five points after just throttling Portland State. 81-7 to in Eugene last week. Oregon is now number nine in my power ratings. Not much movement to the offense or the defensive unit ranks. Offense is still top 10. Defense is still mid-40s. There should be a lot of offense in this game, but the difference for me is the Oregon offense, the best unit on the field against the Texas Tech defense, which I'm projecting to be the worst unit on the field, which ranks in the mid-70s. Guys, the Texas Tech loss to Wyoming last week was among the biggest surprises of the week for me. Uh, King, we talked about some of that at the beginning of the episode. Yes, it was on the road. Yes, I always say that playing on the road is the hardest thing to do in college football. But man, there was an 82% win expectancy by my numbers going in. I really thought the Red Raiders would get it done. Maybe they were looking ahead to Oregon. I know I talked about that when I talked about this Texas Tech-Wyoming game last week in advance uh, of it. I don't know if that was actually the case or if Wyoming just had something special and Laramie was bumping and, and it was a good place to be. It was an exciting game. The Red Raiders, though, they're down more than two points in the ratings this week as a result of their performance last week. They fell from number 22 to number 34 in the rankings. The offense held steady. They're still number 23, but that defense dropped from 61 to 74. That, to me, as I mentioned, is going to be the key as they face Oregon's number six offense in the country. Texas Tech should be focused after the wake-up call last week. I mean, they, they lost. It wasn't just a wake-up call. They lost. This game's in Lubbock. The fans should be amped up to help this team avoid an 0-2 start. I mean, this was a, a darling pick, a preseason sleeper pick for a lot of teams. It was a sexy pick in the Big 12. They cannot start 0-2. Um, I, I don't know, guys. I don't know if the crowd and the, the energy and the renewed sense of focus, I don't know if it's going to be enough. Uh, this Oregon offense is just really, really good. To recap, I have Oregon nine, minus 9.5 on the road. Guys, that's 5 for 5 here in these games. I'm taking the road team to win outright. That's a that's, – Makes me nervous. I don't think it's going to happen. 76% win expectancy for the Ducks. I just got done saying how hard it is to win on the road, and here I am picking all all road teams. Zach, Oregon at Texas Tech, what are you thinking? 
Not a ton on this one, but this is a game that I'm fighting myself internally to not just go hammer Oregon on this because this is one that I think you can overreact to easily from last week based on kind of the opposite performances that we saw from these two respective teams. But I do still think Texas Tech has some potential here. We talk about that home crowd, and I think if they can get better QB play from Tyler Shug, I think Texas Tech does have a chance in this game. I saw a stat on Twitter today, but from our friend Stats of War about Shug having a clean pocket 80% of the time in that game versus Wyoming on Saturday night, he only finished with like a 50 or 51 QB rating. He's going to have to have better performance. I mean, Texas Tech, they did a good job offensively holding up against that Wyoming pass rush. They're going to have a little bit different animal versus Oregon this week. The question with Oregon's defense last year, they did get physically dominated at time by some of their opponents. I know Dan Lanning has really worked to sure that up this year. You look at this Texas Tech team, pretty one-dimensional. They really struggled running the ball. Only 2.8 yards per carry last week versus Wyoming. This was not something that they did exceptionally last year. I think that makes that even more challenging for them if they're one-dimensional and you have all that on Shug's shoulders. So I think Bo Nix and this Oregon offense are going to roll again. I see them putting up points this over under 67. It just depends on if, if Texas Tech can consistently get down and, and put up points here in this one. And I don't think they're going to be able to do it. Again, my head's telling me to get all over Oregon on this one. I haven't done it yet, but I like Oregon to, to take care of business on the road this week uh, as well. Ed, what about you? Yeah, I, I think uh, we're pretty much saying the same things here. This is more of a stay-away game for me than anything else. I look at what Texas Tech did last year, uh, first year under Joey McGuire. They ran 10 more plays, approximately 10 more plays per game than everyone else in the country. And while I have no problem with up-tempo styles, in fact, I, I tend to prefer them just as a, a college football fan, and I think also as a handicapper because it may be one of those things that you forget, hey, look, you know, you have that very far right thin tail that features the Red Raiders. At the same time, I look at this and say, if you're one-dimensional and you are struggling to run the ball against Wyoming, then I don't know how you can continue playing it up-tempo style. You do need to be able to run the football with some efficacy to be able to have close to 90 plays a game. And I don't necessarily care about the clock rules or anything like that. You need to be able to run the football. And I just have some questions as far as that's concerned. So because they can't establish that, then they can't run as many plays per game as they would like. And they can't have that up-tempo style. So they're already taking things away. Love the stat about the clean pocket. And, you know, this is a deal where, yeah, his QBR was okay. Uh, you know, Tyler Schaus were. But this, this is one of those deals where it's a bad matchup for Texas Tech, I think. Because when Oregon does face a team that maybe runs more power eye or something that, that requires a little bit more physicality, then yeah, I'll have some questions about Oregon, but this is not one of those matchups where I think the ducks could very well struggle or get snake bit. So six team returning starters for Oregon, notably Bo Nix. I, it's kind of funny, even though uh, they had the most lopsided score from last week, I was probably a little bit more bearish about Bo Nix after that contest. To me, he's too much. He's too conservative a passer. What was his average depth of target? Like a little more than seven yards a throw? Yeah. Not I don't like that. Is, yeah. I don't like Versus that at Portland all. State. Yeah, that's not okay. I want someone who can throw deep. Explosive plays, I argue, make more sense and matter just a little bit more in today's college football than it's ever mattered. And granted, you know, now there are personnel who can actually complete explosive plays. But I don't know if Bo Nix can do this on a consistent basis. And so I, I have questions about that, which makes it a stay away. 
But if there is a play for me here, what's the total here? 66 and a half. The under might make the most sense if you uh, force me to bet something on this contest. Uh, just because, yeah, I know Texas Tech play, you know, has all those plays, but can they continue that up-tempo style? Whereas with Bo Nix, if he is throwing a lot more Deacon Dunk th- passes, then that's going to wind the clock in and of itself. So not many drives, not a whole lot of possessions for me to feel comfortable about taking the over there. But as far as the side, it's more of a stay away for me. I love it, guys. A game that maybe looks different if Texas Tech doesn't stub their toe last week in Wyoming, but it is what we have, and we are very much looking forward to it. Probably not quite as much as our final game that we're breaking down, though. We have saved the best for last. Zach, you picked this one. Anyone was going to. You got to it first here. What do you make of the premier game of Week 2, one of the best games probably of the non-conference college football season Alabama is hosting Texas in a rematch of what was a very good and intriguing 2022 regular season game in Austin. This time, the Longhorns have to go to Tuscaloosa. Yeah, last year they got the early 11 o'clock slot in Austin. This year they get the game day primetime spot on ESPN under the lights in Tuscaloosa. And this environment is going to be rocking. We got to do just the standard Nick Saban assistant stat here, 28-2 against his former assistant. Sark's first trip officially back to Tuscaloosa. And for Texas fans, maybe there was a little bit of an unease there in the first half of the game versus Rice last week. They only led 16-3, but they were able to get it going. Had a solid performance from Ewers, and the defense looked very solid versus Rice. I mentioned in, the, in our preview episode, Kelly, that Jalen Ford was a player to watch for Texas this year. He got right back, picked right back up where he off, left off last year. And the rest of that defense, are going to have their hands full with Jalen Milrow last week. Five total touchdowns. He's going to get Bama a really solid dual QB. He looks like he's going to get Bama a really solid dual QB threat. Uh, ability to make plays with his feet. That's something they haven't had in in some time. So this is a good front seven for Texas, though. And I look for them to be able to do a relatively good job of containing the run game. We talk about this over under 54 and a half. My immediate gut reaction to that would be to lean under in this as well. Wide receiver room for Bama, unproven up until this point. Will be interesting to see how those guys fare versus the Texas DBs. But if they are able to get some consistent production from the passing game, I think that is going to be needed for Alabama to, to win this game. So offense Offensively from Texas, they are going to need a good game from Quinn Ewers here. But this is the matchup of the night that I want to watch, right? The Texas wide receivers versus that Alabama DB room. You got Xavier Worthy leading that Texas crew. Kool-Aid McKinstry, Caleb Downs for those Bama DBs. That's going to be a fun matchup. We saw a little preview of that last year. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, who gets the edge in that matchup. So I like Bama's edge to stop the run game here for Texas. I think there are going to be some opportunity for explosive plays for Texas, and they're absolutely going to have to take advantage of this. So I am going to say I'm getting all over Bama minus seven. That is two-thirds of the bets that I've placed this week. I think Texas does have good talent, but are they going to be have the ability to put this together on the road versus a Bama offense that actually exceeded expectations for me in week one? I think Milrow was a little bit more impressive. Again, we want to dial that back, but I liked what I saw from Bama. I think only seven here is too low for them at home on a Saturday night, so I'm taking Bama this week to win and cover. I know that pains you, Zach, to have to say and do. (laughs) Oh, yes, it does. (laughs) Money's money, and if that's what you think, then that's where you're going. Ed, what do you make of this blockbuster game? So when I look back at what Nick Saban was doing in this offseason, he was smiling a lot, seemed to be in a more jovial mood. He wasn't giving out his depth chart to the local media, maybe even getting some shots in, whatever the case may be. 
Why did he do all of those things? Well, it's not because he's necessarily a hateful person or someone who's always spiteful and wants to tear the world down. I don't think that. I think he knew that Jalen Milrow was going to be something special, and he wanted to hide. He wanted to hide that fact from everyone as much as possible. So you look at non-play action plays per PFF. He had the highest grade of all quarterbacks. This is a deal where, okay, he's got the athletic ability to run around the field, and he's a fairly accurate passer. Yeah, I get the wide receivers for Alabama. They're unproven, but they also have to block a lot. So to me, I think they're going to be unproven for quite a while because this is a skill set for Bama wide receivers that we don't really see a whole lot. Like, yeah, wide receivers have to block. Like, sure, you know, Devontae Smith had to do it. Fine. But I feel like the blocking will probably be uh, a much greater responsibility because Milrow can just take off whenever. And, you know, mobility is an important trait, like especially at the NFL level for quarterbacks. You almost have to have that now. So here's someone who's going to be getting a lot of attention, and we don't have a lot of film on him. And this is one of the reasons why I think last year, there aren't too many takeaways from last year's uh, outing, except for the fact that Texas had Bijan Robinson and that offensive line, and they weren't able to be that successful on the ground. Alabama's defensive backs, yeah, they, there were some questions. I know they committed several penalties, things like that. Uh, that should be shored up in a game like this. But if there is one constant from last year to this year, I think that I think it's that Texas probably won't have as effective a ground game as they would like to have, despite bringing back the offensive line. So it may force Quinn Ewers to be a little bit one-dimensional. More will be put on his shoulders. And yeah, I love the Texas wide receivers, but can Ewers make the throws? I just don't know that in a game like this. Meanwhile, I get it's a one-game sample size, but I feel like that this Alabama offense is a good bit more dynamic and complex and unpredictable than what Texas saw from last year. I mean, keep in mind, when Bryce Young was facing Texas, there was a lot of film out there on him. And Texas had all of these opportunities to prep for this game. That's going to be a lot tougher in a contest like this one. And so... Alabama's unpredictability, I think, is a major advantage. I also think that when it comes to, say, in-game coaching decisions, going for it on fourth down, when to go for a field goal, those things, I think Saban also has a, a rather significant edge. And so I combine those two things to say, you know what? It is a big spread, but I think Bama can cover it. Guys, this is my number one game of the week. It features my new number one power-rated team. While previous number one Georgia and number two Ohio State both struggled for parts of their games in week one, Alabama looked good from the jump in their 56-7 win over Middle Tennessee. The Tide are now one and a half points clear of the Bulldogs and Buckeyes and boast the number two offense and number six defense in the nation by my numbers. This is now projecting as Alabama's most difficult remaining game of the season. Uh, and I expect Nick Saban to have these guys ready after the scare we had in Austin last year. I know, Ed, you're saying maybe there's not too much we can take away from it and all of that. Saban's going to find a way to say, guys, it was close last year. They almost had us this, that, the other thing, because that's what he does, and he gets the team ready. I have text, or I have Alabama in this one by about 12 and a half. It's an 81% win expectancy. Even though Texas won 37-10 at Rice in week one, or excuse me, against Rice in week one, the Longhorns' performance did not live up to the model's lofty expectations, so Texas is down for me. They were number six last week. They are now number 12. 
the defense actually did improve from 16 to 12, but the offense tumbled. Number 11 last week, now they're number 25. Uh, my numbers favor Alabama on both sides of the ball in this one. The game's in Tuscaloosa. I'm sure Texas was holding things back last week as to not put it all on tape for Alabama to study, but the Longhorns are going to need to dig deep into their bag of tricks here, I think, guys, if they're going to want to pull off the upset in Tuscaloosa. The last time Nick Saban lost at home was to Joe Burrow's LSU Tigers back in 2019. So to recap, I've got Alabama minus 12 and a half um, at home. It's the first time I'm picking a home uh, team to win here today. Uh, 81% win expectancy for the Crimson Tide. So those are the six games that we wanted to go in depth on. Of course, those are not the only six games on the slate. So King, any quick hitters you have that we want to touch on that we haven't already or that we're not going to get to here in a second in the pick'em? Yeah, I got four quick ones here. So the final game of my initial card this week, we know it's going to expand. You know me. I'm not only going to bet three games this weekend, <laughs> but I am. We're looking at the Friday night matchup, Illinois at Kansas. Kansas is a three-point favorite. I'm going back to the well here. It didn't work out week one, but I'm going to take Illinois plus three in this one, and I might even sprinkle a little bit of money line here. I think Luke Altmyer and that offense are going to have a lot, much better success versus this Kansas defense this week. I still think I like that edge for Illinois in the trenches there. So if they can get a little bit better improved defensive performance in this one. I like the Illini this week. Second game, Utah at Baylor. Utah minus seven and a half. The Dave Aranda hot seat chatter has started this week. The Bears need a big bounce back after the brutal loss to Texas State last week. They got no QB Blake Schappen. It's going to be battle of the backup QBs here. So I anticipate Baylor to keep this close. You look at what Utah did to Florida last week. This is one again where you might think based on Baylor's performance, hop all over Utah. But I'm still not giving up on Aranda yet. I like Baylor to keep this one close at home. We got to talk about Iowa, Iowa State, Iowa minus four over under 36. This is probably going to be a pretty ugly battle here. You look at Iowa offense, come out hot last week, scoring their first two drives. It really stalled. Couldn't get the run game going, which has been an Iowa staple here over the last few years. Iowa State, nothing special, but at least they got decent quarterback play from Rocco Beck. They took care of the ball. They got the run game going. This is going to be a defensive battle with a low total here. I do lean the Cyclones to cover, but that's a game I just think you want to stay away from. You don't know what you're going to get with either one of those two teams last one UCF at Boise State UCF minus three and a half over under 58 UCF looked great last week this is a team that might make some noise there in the big 12 we saw Boise State really struggle versus Washington they were down George Helani for a while they really couldn't get anything going offensively the defense really crumbled after the first quarter but I like Boise State again to give UCF a battle this week I lane Boise State at home in that one but that's another fine uh, another uh, matchup this week that everyone should be keeping an eye on I love it, Zach. Ed, any quick hitters from you that we haven't touched on? I look at Ohio and Florida Atlantic, and I look at Florida Atlantic's uh, overall uh, defensive continuity from last year to this year, and I can't help but be a little bit impressed uh, in terms of what they're putting together. The spread is five. I think at home, FAU can cover that one, so that I'm comfortable with. Uh, I guess I have to mention SMU and Oklahoma, right? Of course. Uh, that Got to. It, you know, it's one of those deals where SMU's schedule is just so weak. They don't even face the top teams in the American. That's how weak the schedule is for the Mustangs. So this is a game that obviously they're going to have circled. And I think because of the overall physical talent, look, Oklahoma's a team on the rise. I feel like last year was a bit of a fluke. I think Brent Venables can put Oklahoma in a position to succeed and potentially win the Big 12. 
Uh, you know, spreads 15 and a half. I get why it's it's a, such a large number. But I also think that SMU understands that if they're going to win this game, they're going to be throwing the ball and slinging it a good bit. And that's why we have a total of close to 70 in this one. So I, I, I don't know if this is my, uh, my red and blue heart pumping here, but... I wonder if SMU can at least cover the number because as far as passing attacks go, I do think that SMU is one of the more underrated ones and can at least keep up in a game like this. So that one makes a good bit of sense. And as far as anything else, I think that is just about it. Uh, UConn, uh, three-point dogs against uh, Georgia State. You know, if UConn can't pass the ball at all and all they want to do is run with uh, any kind of efficiency, then why is the total at 54 and a half? Maybe the under is kind of the play there. Just we're going to see fewer possessions and drives. Uh, so that may be the other one that I'm looking at. We're talking UConn. We're talking Ohio, FAU. Ed is going deep into the uh, the G5 ranks here to get you some good-looking plays. I absolutely love it, Ed. Um, we've got to get into our ESPN Pick'em competition. King, we got off to kind of a rough start, both you and I. I mean, we both got 34 points. That's not great, man. Five and five for me, though. That's brutal. I was, I, I was, that's brutal. I was disappointed. I went seven and three, which I like, okay, I'll take a seven and three week, except I missed my 10-pointer, a six-pointer, and a five-pointer. Can't do that if you're trying to win a... a and this week's not getting any easier, no, in my opinion. this week's not getting Mm-mm. easier at all. Ed, we're going to roll through all 10 of these. We'll start with you, then we'll go to King, then I'll give mine. I'll jot them down here for the scorecard. We're going to go in order that they're listed on the ESPN app, which I believe means the order that these games are going to be played. We have first game up, a game we talked about, Notre Dame at NC State. Ed, I'm looking for your winner and confidence points, 1 to 10. My winner is Notre Dame because I believe in Sam Hartman. I think he's going to be part of the Heisman conversation for the majority of the season. And I have this as a nine. Kinger? Notre Dame for 10. Wow. Okay. We're all pretty darn confident in Notre Dame. I'm going to take Notre Dame for nine as well. So I'm matching you, Ed, uh, to a T on that one. This next game, guys, it's uh, Utah going on the road to Baylor. Holy cow, Baylor, what happened last week? Uh, Currently, my biggest underachiever relative to expectation, which essentially means at this point that Baylor was the team that lost with the largest of all the teams that lost last week. They had the largest pregame win expectancy for me at 97%. They lose the game outright. It's Texas State's first ever win against a Power 5 program. Very disappointed in Baylor. Um, Ed, who you liking in this one? Again, straight up, Utah at Baylor and how many confidence points? If Utah can use a third-string quarterback and knock off an SEC team, then they must be something special. And Baylor, all right, lightning in a bottle, you know, made it to the Sugar Bowl and won it, all that stuff, that's great. But I got Utah here, and I'm putting the full 10 on it. All right, Kinger? So, again, I am not as quick to write off Baylor here. I got to believe Dave Aranda is going to have the guys fired up. So I'm taking Utah still to win this game, but I'm not quite as confident. So I got Utah for five. And I'm going to go Utah at eight. So I'll split the difference there. Guys, this Baylor defense dropped from my number 49 projected to number 96. Like in one week, that's a huge drop. I mean, holy cow. It did not go well for Baylor last week at home. Now they get the Utes coming to town and what would have been prior to the loss, a huge game. It's definitely lost some of its luster and appeal. We talked about this one. We went deep into it. Ed, uh, remind us, winner here, Nebraska at Colorado. 
I had to temper my expectations for a little bit just in case Colorado is just a one-game wonder. So I do have Colorado winning this game, but I have a four. Kinger? Colorado for seven. King, I say it every single year. I'm going to separate my model from my opinion. I always say this is the year. This is the game. This is the pick. If I was ever going to do it, it'd be this one. It'd be here. Guys, I'm, <laughs> but you're not gonna I'm going to Nebraska. I can't do it. I'm going to Nebraska. I'm going to take them for three. Oh, I kind of hate it, but I'm doing it anyway. Uh, the Cyhawk game, guys. It's a really good one. It's always fun. Well, I'll say it's a good one. It's an it's an intriguing game. It's always a fun matchup. We always have lots of really good defense. Uh, who knows about what these offenses are going to be? But I'm excited about it. It's a rivalry game. It's week two. We don't get a whole lot of them early in the season. Ed, what do you make? Iowa is going on the road in this one to Iowa State. Give me Iowa and five. I think it's just more splitting the difference than anything else. But uh, I, I like Iowa to win. Spread suggests as much, and I'll take a five. Kinger, what about you? Iowa for one. Man, I'm going to go with King. I've got Iowa for one. I've got this as truly a pick game right now. 51% win expectancy for the Hawkeyes. We talked about this one in depth, guys. We've got Ole Miss going on the road to Tulane. Ed, I know we like the over in this one, but uh, what do you think for a straight-up winner? I'll take Ole Miss begrudgingly, but I'll put a two on it. Kinger? Ole Miss for six. And I'm going to split the difference in between you guys again. Uh, lean towards King here. I'm going to take Ole Miss for five. Again, would not be surprised at all. I missed my five-pointer last week. Would not be surprised at all if Tulane ends up finding a way in this game. Another game we talked about. We're deep in the pick'em this week. We They had a lot of good games. Week one, they didn't have a whole lot of great games in the pick'em. Week two, they certainly do. We've got Texas A&M going on the road to Miami, Ed. I like Miami too much to put too many confidence points on AM, so I'll take the Aggies, but for a three. Got it. Kinger? Um, somewhere to add there, AM for two. I'm going to match King exactly. I'm going to take AM for two. That's a really intriguing game. Uh, number one game of the week that we talked about. We've got Alabama hosting Texas. Ed, where are we going in this one? Big time game. Big time game, big time confidence. Bama for eight. All right. Kinger? Bama for nine. Well, you guys can see a trend coming. I'm going to take Alabama. I'm going to take them for 10. I don't love it, but that's how the uh, projections work out here with a 12 and a half point spread, uh, projected spread by my numbers. That's the largest that we have. So give me Alabama for all 10 points. Cannot miss my 10 pointer again this week. It's just an absolute killer. Uh, final game that we already talked about that we need to do in the pick em. We've got Oregon going on the road to Texas Tech, Ed. Give me Oregon for seven. Uh, I Putting a lot of confidence points on a road team makes me a little nervous here, but I just feel like that Texas Tech is too one-dimensional to knock off Oregon. So Ducks for seven. Kinger? Oregon for eight. And I'm going to go with Ed. I'm going to take Oregon for seven as well. Watch, we all have Oregon big. They are going to lose that game. Uh, <laughs> here we go, King. You touched on this game. Uh, Ed, we'll start with you. It's UCF at Boise State. couple uh, BCS busters, if you will, from back in the day. You know, it's one of those things where I get there are a lot of new teams in the Big 12, but why don't we give them more love to you know potentially contend? for the conference title. I do wonder, as far as futures are concerned, maybe we need to look at Cincinnati a little more seriously. Maybe we need to look at UCF more seriously. So in terms of confidence, it's very low. I have UCF for a one. All right, King. I'm taking UCF for four. 
I agree with you, Ed. Um, I've, I've been somewhat serious on UCF projecting them to be, you know, the main contender of the new four teams. Cincinnati, they were really impressive in week one. Maybe they deserve a little bit stronger look, even by my numbers. I'm taking UCF in this one. I'm more confident than both of you. That's how the numbers work out. I'm taking UCF for six. Final pick'em game. We have, well, I don't think we've talked about it. We have Oklahoma State at Arizona State, Ed. So full disclosure, I do have a ticket, Oklahoma State over six and a half wins. I just feel like the program is such to where, yeah, you might have a lot of turnover and a lot of unknowns, but at some point, if you have a history of success, then you can get to seven wins. And so I think Oklahoma State can do that, and that will continue in a game like this. So I have uh, the pokes for six. Kinger? This is my upset of the week, and I don't really have a whole lot to go by it other than I think Jaden Rashada, there's some there's some talent there. He's a guy that I think everybody should keep an eye on over the next few years. Oklahoma State, always a quality program, but this is one I just got a feeling on the road. I think Arizona State has got a little bit of momentum right now with Kenny Dillingham, so I'm going to take the Sun Devils at home for three. King, uh, they the Sun Devils are down four and a half points for me. It's the fifth largest fallers after last week. Not very impressive in their win against Southern Utah, um, but could make for a bounce back game. Ed, you talked about over six and a half preseason. I would have given that a 63% chance to happen. Now I'm looking at about a 43% chance. Oklahoma State is down in the power ratings by about two and a half points from last week. Uh, they could certainly bounce back. I'm going to take Oklahoma State for four in this one guys that is the pick'em competition we have to wrap up with some best bets king i know you've laid out a few go ahead and recap those and then i certainly want to get ed's card i think he's going deep into some of these some of these games i love it <laughs> yeah we got three right now but again we took it on the chin last weekend man five and what are we i, I was like owen six on saturday last weekend it was rough but you know you're gonna have some weekends like that it was week one so we're just back in the lab we're gonna take it on the chin we're going to get right back on the horse this week. So Friday night, Illinois plus three, money line potential there. And then I am on the two favorites in the Notre Dame minus seven and a half and at NC State and Alabama minus seven at home versus Texas. Ed, anything to add from your perspective? Uh, other than the ones I've already mentioned, uh, UConn, Georgia State under 54 and a half, Ole Miss Tulane over 64 and a half. I think Bama covers uh, the bigger number against Texas. Those are going to be my big ones. And then I might work from there. I love it. Well, guys, this has been so much fun. Hey, Ed, remind everybody, because I don't think we did it at the beginning. We got so into your intro and your background and all that. Remind everybody, where can they find you on X, formerly Twitter? And where, where can they find all your content, pump your show, all that stuff? Just let everyone know, where can they get more of you? Absolutely. So social media handle at Ed with sports at Ed with sports. I'm there on X. I'm there on Instagram as well. Also have some uh, great content, I guess, visually and uh, also on Facebook as well, where I share some of my uh, information and analysis, all that good stuff. And to catch BetQL daily again, nine to noon Eastern time on the BetQL network. We're on twitch.tv slash BetQL. We're on YouTube. Uh, we're on some uh, key radio stations all across the country. So uh, please make sure to check us out. I love it, Ed. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. This has been so much fun. Your betting expertise has been awesome for the show. We've absolutely loved it. King, this was a very solid, full episode. It's nice to be back in the flow, huh? 
No doubt about it, man. Just picking up right where we left off last year and just growing, getting getting bigger and better, doing things to do anything we can to, to make this show better. I love it, man. All right. Well, it's been another good episode. This has been We Hate Your Team with Kay Ford and Kinger. We will be back with week three, but until then, enjoy week two of the 2023 college football season.